The cool thing about living down in Nicaragua is all of the new amazing people that I've met that are truly making a difference in their community. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. Drew Reinhardt found this place on a retreat many years ago and just knew it had to be her home. Since her move, she's explored and learned the language and how to ride a motorcycle, goals, while also working as a yoga instructor, personal trainer, and health coach. She is the founder of a nonprofit that is a women's health and empowerment program that works to inspire women to better self-advocate and manage health through building healthy lifestyle habits, such as nutrition and exercise, as well as building community around health and wellness in rural Nicaragua. Let's dive in. Hi, Drew. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. I feel like this must kind of feel like inception because although my background is blurred, I'm very obviously in your house right now while you are in your other home, <laughs> yeah. second home um, yeah. in the States. I'm keeping holding down the fort in Nicaragua and Nicaragua is how we connected. So I'm so excited because I want to chat all about your initiatives. But before we get into that, I always start with the question of how do you keep yourself well? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, It's so funny too, because I think the answer to that question evolves, you know, it's definitely different in different times, but I would say at this moment um definitely prioritizing sleep movement and um spending time with my loved ones that's definitely those are those three things are probably my main keys to wellness in this moment oh I love that and you're right I feel like it is so ever evolving and I find that often you know we learn to prioritize something like sleep because we've been forced into it like potentially learning the hard way. So was that something you'd been neglecting or you've just always prioritized sleep and movement? I think, well, I think movement is usually always a priority for me. It, I think sometimes I, it's like a with the sleep, it's a more present like prioritization because my life can be busy. So for example, like right, right now where I'm in the States, um, primarily what I'm doing is uh, working as a server to make the bulk of my money. So, um, you know, that's just a really physical job. And then also I need a, a movement practice. So if I'm doing both of those things <clears throat> in the same day, I really need to make sure that I'm sleeping. Otherwise, you know, one of those things is going to be lacking and I'm not going to be able to move the way that I want to, or my work is going to be suffering. So um, <clears throat> I think definitely when I'm in a state it's like, okay, I'm working, I'm working until 9 30, 10 o'clock. And then it's like, all right, I have a pretty solid bedtime routine in terms of like how I wind myself down um, and dealing with a little bit of health challenges this year. Um, so uh, definitely my eating schedule has been like really heavily adjusted. So it's just like, come home. Usually I take a shower, I get on my blue light in my room, I have a cup of tea, and then I like um, pretty much listen to some singing bowls or something to help me fall basically right asleep. And then I really do prioritize getting eight hours of sleep over even my movement. So um, for example, like if I have gone to bed at, um, you know, midnight, I will sleep until eight o'clock. Like I, I 
definitely give myself eight hours of sleep no matter what. I'm definitely a person who needs it. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah, me too. Do you find your sleep and pattern changes from Nicaragua to the US? Yes. It's been so cathartic as well, like listening to you posting some of these things that you've been posting lately about your sleep schedule and how different it is there. Because so a lot of times what happens when I come back here is I'm just crashed for the first couple of months. Like I, I'm struggling even to get out of bed at like nine or 10 in the morning. Um, and that is so unusual because in Nicaragua, when everything is so 12 and 12, basically in terms of hours of daylight and sunlight, it's so easy to no, like, okay, now is the sleeping time and now is the waking time. And I'm just so similar to you where I just like pop awake at like 4.45 every morning and I don't really set an alarm. It just happens that I go to bed earlier because everything shuts down earlier and my activities are finished earlier. And then, you know, I'm waking up earlier with the sun and it's just so much, feels so much more natural. Like I don't ever have to really push it um, or plan it. Whereas here, I feel like I I have to actually plan it and think about it. Otherwise I don't, get it in. Yeah, I find the exact same thing. And it's funny, because when I was in Canada, you know, I had a lot of feedback of like, Oh, you know, you'll get used to it. And you'll adapt back to that, you know, the kind of Canadian cycle. I'm like, but I don't know if I want to like, it just feels less healthy and less natural. So interesting that you're noting that too, but figuring out how to make it work for you. So how did you originally end up in Nicaragua? Because I don't think that I ever heard the full story of how you found Nicaragua, let alone this area, which is like quite. Remote. Yeah. Yeah. So um, actually I, I went initially to Nicaragua with my good friend, Charlotte. Um, and the way that that trip came about was she was actually planning a retreat with two other yoga teachers and they were looking for a spot to host the retreat and Charlotte had visited Ubita in um, Costa Rica and she really loved the area and they wanted to repeat that sort of experience. They had gone to like a permaculture farm and it was very like interesting as she was studying sustainable agriculture and so was I at UNH at the time. <clears throat> so Basically, they looked for places and it just was very expensive. So they looked for somewhere that they could go that was close by and they ended up with Nicaragua. And then I think they found um, Rise Up Surf Camp. I'm not sure exactly how they found it, but, you know, just probably Googling, you know, surf camps in Nicaragua or hotels in Nicaragua. So the fact that we ended up in this very isolated part of the country was totally coincidence. Um, but we chose or they chose Nicaragua uh, as a place to explore because it was cost effective. Oh, and then so from there, when did you decide to make the move, let alone buy a property here? New year, new adventures, new goals, same great experience that Sweet and Sprouted. As the winter season unfolds, immerse yourself in the delightful world of guilt-free indulgence. Embrace cold weather and cozy vibes with Sweet and Sprouted's delectable treats, thoughtfully crafted for those living the low-carb, low-sugar, and keto lifestyles. Your taste buds will dance with delight when you dive into decadent desserts that align with your nutrition goals. Adapt to cooler days ahead by exploring their curated selection of snacks, seasonings, fresh goods, and energizing beverages. And don't forget the convenient on-the-go snacks to take along on your hot holiday, helping you stay on track no matter where you are. 
Visit sweetensprouted.com now and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Replenish your stock and explore new goodies. Again, that's promo code wellness10 at sweetensprouted.com for 10% off or just mention KY Wellness in store for 10% at the Saskatoon location. Yeah, so I um, sort of have a history of being very impulsive, um, which I think is a blessing and a curse. And I think I used to kind of like really shame myself about it in the past. Although now I've definitely learned to embrace it uh, for what it is. And I think it's a really beautiful thing about me that makes me sort of like jump into these uh, situations before <laughs> like really fully thinking it through, um, you know, and sometimes really beautiful things happen. So that was definitely the case in the situation. Um, I went there and I was kind of at a time where I was struggling a little bit because um, you know you'll relate to the story because I've seen a couple of things on your website and that you've posted regarding this <clears throat> part of me but I had a pretty serious weightlifting injury and I was um, at that time very into competitive Olympic weightlifting um, and so basically I had like blown my hip out almost completely <clears throat> and so while I was in Nicaragua um, you know, there's kind of a lot of things that I was nervous about doing because I needed the surgery. I just hadn't had it yet. So I think that was January of 2016. And I was due to have the surgery in March of 2016. Um, so it's kind of in a place of like a little bit identity crisis, you know, um, because just kind of struggling with like this injury and like, am I ever going to be able to lift again? And I was feeling really um, like kind of losing a little bit my, my, maybe not my purpose, but just kind of just feeling a little confused. Um, so I had a lot of really moving experiences while I was on this trip and it kind of just made me feel really drawn to the area. Um, so for example, like one of the things that I did was I hiked up Costa Guina, like with my hip that way, which is really challenging and difficult and painful for different reasons. Um, you know, and when I got to the top, I was like crying and everyone was cheering and it was like a really, um, powerful moment for me because I felt like, at that time, I was like losing a bit of my identity in terms of not being able to move the way that I wanted to. And I was like, yeah, I did it, you know, so just kind of a, a number of little experiences like that over the time. And um, in addition, I had met somebody who was kind of taking me around the village and showing me different places, which was really cool. Uh, so I had a really interesting look at the culture that I think a lot of people didn't get while they were there. At the time where I was visiting, like now if you visit where Rise Up used to be, which is now called Amaru, um, you know, you couldn't like go off of the property and just like walk around the village. They like didn't really let you do that. Um, so when I met this guy and he's like, oh, like, do you want to go see the circus in the village? And I'm like, okay, you know, so I, I got to see like all these funny little things about how people were living. And um, I was really just drawn to it. Um, and particularly where I was studying about how to like raise animals and um, how to raise plants and, and crops. You know, I was like, wow, I could do this here. Like, this could be a thing that I could maybe do. And I was kind of in the right place at the right time financially. Um, so I just kind of really impulsively was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. So I booked a ticket back after that first week there without getting out of bed. I literally booked a ticket right back. Um, and then we came back, my friend Charlotte and I, like two or three weeks later, I think. And then I came back home again to do the surgery. And then I ended up moving down in, in April of 2016. And I bought a property pretty quickly after that because um, I pretty much knew I was like, I just want to do this. It was super yeah. impulsive. <laughs> um, okay. but yeah. Uh, do you think 
impulsivity or listening to your gut. And maybe we've just been told that like, you know, we have to have these big rationales for things, you know, like I think we're taught not to listen to our gut, but I don't know. Sounds like you knew in your gut. No, I, yeah, I, I think that's, that is true. I think, um, that's how I've come to appreciate it now, like more as an adult and understanding, you know, my strengths and weaknesses and where, what they are and, um, how to work around them and all of those things. But I definitely believe that I have a very deep intuition, like very strong. And, um, I knew there was a few moments where the feeling that I felt more than anything was, I need to be here. There's something that I meant to do here. That was the message Ooh. that I kept getting so no I just like went for it yeah oh my god I'm so glad you did that gave me chills I would love to know did you experience like a massive culture shock when you came here because I mean my first 10 days and I even did a podcast episode about this it seems like hilarious I'm embarrassed now even like reflecting on it because it seems so silly that I was struggling because now I'm like, it was, it's so easy. You adapt so quickly. But my first 10 days here, originally, I was like, kind of took me a minute to get acclimated. And when you would have first come here, it was yeah. been more remote, more rural, way less expats, way less like <laughs> conveniences than there is now. So how did you set yeah. up? <laughs> Yeah, it was really, uh, it was really tough. And, um, you know, I think that was part of the, you know, me just kind of leaping before I looked, that was part of the thing was that I didn't really think it through in terms of, well, I was having these really nice experiences while I was staying on the resort. Well, if I moved there, like, I don't belong at the resort. I'm not part of the surf coach team. Like I'm not, you know, working there. So I didn't have access to any of those spaces. So I didn't have any like friends or family or coworkers, um, you know, so it was really hard. And initially when we first, when I first moved down there, um, the boys were like on like a little break. So in April, I think they had like one or two weeks off. I can't remember. So we were all kind of like palling around and it was pretty overwhelming in terms of, you know, we were with them and their family. So everyone was speaking Spanish. Um, and really quickly and I was really overwhelmed like I could not pick up any of it um that was pretty tough and then um similarly to your recent experience I had a number of uh stomach issues so um I think that's probably stemming into like why I'm having some health problems now with my stomach I think it all goes back to that because I repeatedly got um sick and I initially what happened was I got Giardia but I didn't realize that that's what I had so I was thinking I was just getting like these little bouts of food poisoning and I didn't go and have it treated properly. So with Giardia, what happens is if anyone's ever had the, this, you know it, but basically you get sick, you get very, very like violently ill and then you feel better. And then like three weeks later, you get sick again <clears throat> because of the system of the way the parasites like grow in your system and hatch eggs. And it's really disgusting, honestly, but I was just very like ill. So there was a lot of really big challenges in the beginning. And you know, I didn't also have a house, but I had bought a property and was like building a house and like trying to communicate with um, people through the person that I was dating at the time. So it's like they were having a conversation about construction and, and also like, so 
the dynamics of men and women in this culture are very different. And so it was really difficult because people talk to my partner and I would always be like, hi, um, I'm here. I'm the one writing the check. So you could speak to me. Hi. You know, I, I know I don't speak Spanish, but um, I need to know what's going on. So it was a real challenge with all of those things, you know, and, and there was many, many times when I was just like, so exhausted from the heat and sick and didn't have any support and just crying you know like all the time because there was like these massive highs and then these really big lows you know um just everything being new but I mean yeah a lot of culture shock a lot of um difficult experiences with both health and and just interpersonal relationships and how different the culture is in terms of just how you would manage like male to female friendships like so many different things but yeah it was a big big shock for sure and I was just telling actually it's funny that you asked about this my grandparents this story so when I first moved down and you might relate to this as well I you know didn't have a kitchen renting all these places that had like like a tiny little stovetop or something and I didn't really have like a fridge so I was eating out a lot and at that time I just come from going like I think I was practicing the zone diet if you've ever done that or if you know about it but it's basically you know you, you put all your macros into blocks what they call them blocks and like each block represents a certain number of calories so based on your weight let's say like I had like nine blocks of carbs fats and proteins per day and you know like one block of carbs could be like two cups of broccoli or like a third of a mango they were all like equivalents that they like worked them out into so it was pretty specific and you would like weigh and measure your food so I went from that to like free-for-all trying to find anything healthy in Nicaraguan food which as you know is impossible so I was really stressed out about that and I remember one time I ordered um some fajitas at the local spot which is called Joe's I don't know if you've ever been there it's like the original surf hostel uh yeah. in a territory you ask w he'll tell you about it um but that used to be a lot more popular and so i ordered fajitas thinking you know when you get a fajita at like a mexican restaurant here it's like strips of chicken and like peppers and onions like all you know i'm like okay at least it's not going to be fried and they put down a plate of fried chicken in front of me and I burst into tears i was like i can't eat any more fried food <laughs> you know which seems like so dramatic but it was you know everything was like uprooted you know I had no support I would say I had no kitchen like I was used to being at least very in control of my food and even that I wasn't in control so it was was really tough at first oh yeah I want to talk more about nutrition when we talk about the nonprofit. how um okay how did you learn to speak Spanish okay through immersion or did you start taking lessons did you use apps um so I did take Spanish in high school when I when I moved to Nicaragua I was 28 but I did in high school take uh AP Spanish so I I was like pretty decent at Spanish but then at that point I hadn't my friend Charlotte and I used to do like Duolingo a little bit when we first got there um but I would say you know mainly I learned um when I started teaching the girls um you know, just interacting directly with them. That was the biggest thing. And it's kind of funny because I think my ex actually didn't really want me to learn Spanish. Like it was kind of this weird thing where he wouldn't really teach me and I would ask for his help. And 
it was just, I don't know if it was like a control thing or, or, or what exactly, but it was um, definitely a struggle with him. So not until I really started to develop my own relationships. And that was mostly through the work that I was doing there that, or that I am doing there, um, <clears throat> that I really started to get a good grasp on the language. I mean, it definitely took me, I would say after about four or five months, I was like, I could speak to anyone I needed to and like ask them, you know, where's the bathroom or where can I find this or have pretty good conversations. But I didn't really start to have enough of a grasp on it where I could, let's say, explain nutritional concepts or exercise moves or have a personality, you know, that yeah. took a long time. That is, yeah, that's such a good point. I think about that all the time where I'm like, oh, I probably, am, I seem so dull and also unintelligent in Spanish because I can't communicate anything mm -hmm. of depth. Um and I just want to say, if you don't mind me kind of interjecting this, the relationship comment, you we won't cover it here because you did such a beautiful job covering on a podcast that I listened to, um, which is kind of also linked to the Nicaraguan community about being in a toxic and abusive relationship, just to give context of that point of the kind of control and manipulation of language, which makes me so sick because it's, you know, forcing a level of dependence on him right like that is such a, a control mechanism so that podcast is called second breakfast with surf with amigas and drew and holly beck who is a professional surfer also in this yeah. community cover yeah. in depth so please go listen to it because i think it you just were so transparent and it was beautiful and also now that i say that I do yeah. know how you ended up in Nicaragua because I listened to it on that podcast, but I'm happy that you reviewed it for us because clearly my memory was short lived. And then another question, did you surf prior to coming here or was Rise Up your first introduction to surfing? Um, yeah. So my, my first, you just, did you say when was my first introduction to surfing? Yeah. Did you start surfing here or did you already surf when you came? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yep. Yeah, my, but that same person was my, he was my first surf coach and he coached me all the way until I got my first barrel, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, so I, I really fully learned from, I probably didn't do that much surfing this first year because, so I had my entire hip reconstructed in March of 2016. And then I went and moved down, like I said, in April. So I think I had like two or three weeks yeah. Like, I'll just do the rest of it in Nicaragua and I was like bye you know um so I the first year I was really afraid of you know just being on the board and like slipping you know I was like that movement could really just ruin that whole surgery so I was pretty cautious I don't think I surfed for like the first year maybe year and a half and then I did get my first board um the guys that rise up sold that to me it was like this big actually it's uh there's I, I don't think it might be my office but there's a piece of it still in the office because I snapped it in half at, <laughs> at a post and view um but yeah so I yeah I took my first surf lesson on that first trip down in um in January 2016 and that was the first time I ever surfed Ready to conquer the new year with endless energy and vitality? Empower your journey to a stronger you with Supplement World Canada. As we settle into the winter season, I know, let them be your guide to the very best supplements for your lifestyle. Their knowledgeable staff is ready to support your health journey year round. 
Of course, they have a huge variety of low-carb and sugar-free options, from protein bars to energizing smoothies, your taste buds and your body will appreciate the boost. Indulge without compromise because staying healthy should never mean sacrificing the flavor or quality ingredients. Discover their quality curated supplements designed to boost immunity, enhance workouts, and maintain overall well-being. But wait, there's more. Visit supplementworldcanada.com and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Why not thrive instead of just survive this winter season? What are you waiting for? Head to supplementworldcanada.com now and use promo code wellness10 to kickstart your journey to a stronger, healthier you. At what point did you start your nonprofit and what led you to creating this women's organization? Yeah, so um, I started doing the work with Mary Team Waven in 2018. Um, that started mostly because you know, a couple of things were going on all at the same time that were making life really challenging. Um, so, you know, as I we briefly touched upon earlier, I was having a very challenging relationship. And then also there was a political conflict going on in the country at that time, which was, you know, really, really scary and overwhelming. Um, so uh, just like to give a little bit of history on that, basically what happened is that um, there were some students in Nicaragua who began protesting against the government because they were going to raise the taxes and lower the social security benefits. And so the students decided to uh, take it upon themselves to do something about it. And in this first protest, the government ended up shooting and killing 27 students, I believe. Um, so that was in July of 20, or was that April of 2018? I can't remember. Um, so it kicked off this really intense um, political conflict throughout the country. Now we're, we're living, as you know, it's a very isolated area. So there wasn't any direct violence where I was living. Um, there was more like probably like crimes of opportunity. Like there was a lot of chaos kind of going on, but um, you know, there was no like semblance of what we were seeing on the internet, for example, like in Managua um, or the bigger cities, you know, where people were like literally tearing up the streets and making barricades and making like um, handmade morteros, which are like bomb throwers that you can make out of PVC pipes. Um, so it's like pretty um, scary because, you know, every morning you'd wake up and we'd be kind of like, like looking through Facebook and seeing these videos on these sort of like rebel news outlets, um, you know, about people dying and what was going on. It was very scary. Um, so where we were living, that was kind of manifesting in, you know, tourism left, it basically shut down. Um, and so, you know, there was like pretty much no uh, travelers, like no extra heroes that were in the area. And I was very, felt very alone and very isolated. And then in addition to that, um, a lot of drinking was going on in the village. So um, pretty much like every night, especially like where you can see my house is next door to that um, little bar, but a boom, um, you know, that bar would be Wednesday to Sunday till 3am people would be partying. And I mean, like partying. Um, so my partner at the time would kind of like disappear and go off and doing that. Sometimes I wouldn't see him for days. And, you know, it's just like, you know, what am I going to do? So I just said, you know, I'm not going to drink because I've occasionally done that before in my life in terms of like when I was competitive weightlifting, I would not drink for, you know, weeks and weeks leading up to the competition and stuff like that. But I was like, I'm just going to, you know, focus on working out by myself in my house and, um, you know, 
try to feel better. So I started doing that and I started to feel a little bit better, which is great. And then I was like, all of a sudden one day, I just thought, you know what? I bet every other woman in the village is probably dealing with the same sort of circumstances that I'm dealing with. You know, they're probably feeling very isolated and lonely. Like maybe their husbands are also out drinking and maybe it's really difficult for them. No one was working, I know, because everything was shut down. Um, so I just started to invite some of the girls uh, that were around me to work out with me. And it just kind of really grew very uh, organically from there. So we started out with community fitness classes. Um, so we just did kind of like, I guess like circuit training. And initially, you know, we had no equipment. There was nothing that we could use. So I just told the girls like bring a towel. So it was like all calisthenics. Uh, and then, you know, we got like slowly and slowly people would say, hey, do you need money? Do you need equipment? How can I help? And I was like, yes, 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 I definitely need it. So um, we ended up, you know, getting some plyo boxes built and we had some like handmade barbells built and we filled some like uh, jugs, like oil jugs with, um, you know, cement or water or sand to kind of make different uh, weights, um, you know, and it grew to like this pretty uh, shockingly sized group. And I was really, you know, it was, it was really wild because, you know, definitely people didn't have a health focus at all. Uh, at that point, there was really no culture around fitness. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't something that people did. Um, I think the most surprising thing at that time was just kind of the, the negative feedback, actually, um, because what could be more wholesome than women getting together and supporting each other, trying to be healthy, but yet somehow people had something to say about that, you know. Ready to elevate your physical adventures this season? Element is the answer. The ultimate science-backed electrolyte drink designed to keep you at your best no matter the weather. Whether you're exploring the snowy outdoors, hitting the gym, or enjoying a brisk winter stroll, Element's scientifically crafted formula replenishes vital electrolytes lost during activity. It's not just for scorching heat, though you can absolutely pack it with you if you're going on a hot holiday this season. It's truly a daily hydration solution, including for frigid escapades. Say goodbye to sugary artificial drinks. Every sip of Element contains essential minerals, including sodium, potassium, and magnesium, but without the unwanted sugar. Visit my website, kywalness.ca, and click on the Element link under products to discover the power of Element for yourself. With any purchase, you'll receive a free sample pack to try and experience the revitalizing effects firsthand. Let's get salty. So tell us what the main mission is for Mujeres Que Mueven. Sure. So um, initially we started with the mission of, you know, bringing wellness to the community and helping to empower women um, to have better and, and healthier lives. That was pretty much the point. So initially when I did that, I thought, you know, that had a lot more to do with fitness and nutrition is what we were really working on. Um, but, you know, as I've, you know, obviously grown and learned through the years, um, the mission has definitely changed a little bit in terms of expanding that definition of wellness to also include, you know, the social aspect of wellness. And this year, also, we're going to start adding in the financial aspect of wellness. So <clears throat> meaning, um, we added a lot of more social activities that, that um, you know, again, we're getting more funding too. So we're able to do more stuff. Um, so 
we've got last year, we added a bunch of like little trips and things that we did with other all women groups that we met through the internet um, in like Leon. Um, and uh, there are two different groups actually out of Leon. <clears throat> and then this year we do plan to start two initiatives that would teach sort of entrepreneurial skills um, and help the girls um, actually create, we'll create some jobs, which will be great. Um, you know, and that will hopefully will expand into some other areas. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to hear that. I mean, I've not only witnessed the community aspect because I've been lucky enough to be here now present for two <clears throat> nights, but yeah, I've that's right. I've heard them, which was so cool because I was at the last one, once I showed up, because I had to work, I was a little bit late. I was the only gringa there. And I have appreciated so much how welcome I have felt as part of the like local community, which yeah. is a really beautiful thing. Um, so not only have I felt it, but had heard about the trip to the volcano that you guys took and like yeah. that it's like, you know, these girls are still raving about it. Like it was such yeah. a... Oh, like that's them. so cool. I didn't know that. That's really yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, like Magdalena was showing me photos and something that uh -huh. I've really, like witnessed too, because um, if anyone didn't hear me talking about this, um, that's listening, the house that I'm staying at is Drew's house and the girls come here to work out in the afternoon every day. And now when you're not here, the local girls are running the classes. And so, you know, I've been a personal trainer essentially my whole adult life. And I don't think any of those girls know that. Right. So I'm showing up, yeah. taking the classes and like allowing myself to be led and see these girls step into their power and, you know, gain confidence as a trainer telling me to fix my form on stuff where I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, yes, I'm ma'am. Uh, I was in a plank one day and Magdalena was like, you know, get up. Putting your butt down. Oh my God. I love What's that. That's perfect. That that <laughs> makes me so happy. I'm seriously crying over here. It was, oh yeah, I love it. And, you know, fitness has been a, the way that I've empowered myself my whole life. So to see a community where that has kind of not been, they haven't been given the permission to that and given the permission yeah. to lean into community and entrepreneurship. I think, it, you know, for those who haven't experienced the, the culture dynamic of this place. Yeah it's, it's got a lot of catching up to do likely, it, you know, yeah. in terms of what we see in America. So you're really shaking the system of so many things, just as you said, you know, in your relationship, um, ha not having the power to speak Spanish, like that was something that was kind of trying to be controlled for you. Like, I think that these women stepping into their power in ways financially and with community, yeah. That's a really big deal. And I'm so excited to hear about the entrepreneurship side because I can't yeah. see the magic that that brings, you know, just in terms of even creativity. Yeah. Of, there's so much to offer here. So um, oh that is so cool. And I would love for you to talk about some of the challenges of being healthy here, um, because a few that come to mind, you know, just as an observer, and I, I wish... I would have looked up statistics of this, um, but a few that I've picked up on, you know, first of all, a lot of women are having children very young, um, you know, part of that cultural, part of that likely challenges of, you know, birth control and accessibility, yep. education as well, um, and then education in general being a limitation, food quality, um, you know, 
I, when I try to talk about how I've noticed better health in Nicaragua, feel as though I have to give a disclaimer of it's a privilege to come mm. here as an expat and be able to afford better health because that's yeah. the exception to the rule here. That's not the case for the majority of locals. Um, you know, so those are some of the things that I've noticed kind of right off the bat. And then the relationship um, dynamics. And I want to be very cautious not to like blanket statement. There are very good men. Yeah obviously um but the relationship dynamics are different and i don't know if you want to get into this but monogamy and the idea of like consistent partners seems different and then of course as you said women not working often their role being you know taking care of the house taking care of the children leaving them potentially susceptible in terms of what they're able to do to move out of, you know, toxic environment yeah. because they don't have those financial means. So it's all very complicated and, you know, interwoven, but I would love your opinions on, you know, just generally some of those complex challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with um, the more less complicated things like, <clears throat> but there's definitely a lot of barriers to health there. Um, as you mentioned in the beginning, um, so first of all, where we live in the village, we have limited access to certain kinds of vegetables and, and things like that. So for example, if you want to have like lettuce for a salad, that's just not going to happen in the village. So if your only way to eat um, fresh vegetables is what you're getting in the village. Um, I saw you going down to Doña Coco's, by the way, to get some veggies the other day. That's probably the best option that we have in the village. Um, so she's got, as you've seen, um, like, you know, green, sweet green tomatoes, the chitomas, she has tomatoes, she's got, excuse me, um, potatoes, um, you know, uh, some fresh like cantaloupe and, but there's not a lot of fresh fruit and vegetable around. Um, and also that depends upon the time of year, because when mango season comes, there's literally mangoes everywhere to the point where people sweep them into piles and burn them because there's too many. <laughs> And I would love to figure out a way to fit, to not have to do that. But in my house included, like when I used to have chickens, it was a little different because chickens would eat a lot of it too. Um, but I mean, it's just a massive mess. Um, so it's very difficult to um, have a healthful diet that will get you enough calories um, to work in the Nicaraguan sun all day, um, you know, and like feed your body. So <clears throat> a lot of times what happens is, um, again, because of that, like limited education level and, you know, people are just doing the best that they can as well. Um, we have to keep that in mind, but, um, so they kind of learn these like little tricks. And I would say, um, that they, they, one of the beliefs that they think is really helpful is like getting a lot of sugar in the morning. Mm. So oftentimes you'll see a practice of like having a, um, Coca-Cola in the morning, and, um, you know, like a bread with like sugar in it pretty much. So if you go to the store, you've probably seen the Picos. Have you seen those? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like a bread that's like folded on itself that has, um, usually some sort of fruit jam, but it's like a high, high sugar fruit jam. It's not like just the fruit. It's like they add a bunch of sugar into the point where you're like eating it. You can like taste the granulated sugar, um, delicious, but you know, definitely not something that you probably want to start your day with every single morning on top of a 
full glass at the pull up. Um, but there's a couple of reasons that that happens. One, um, there is not a lot of access to clean water. So one thing that happens in the morning, a lot of these women are waking up at 4 a.m. They're pushing a cart down the street like a, with a 55 gallon uh, drum on it to go and get water so that they can um, start their day, <clears throat> which would include, you know, probably boiling water to make some sort of um, breakfast, whatever they're making for breakfast. Um, so then they're also looking for firewood, you know, um, and then they're, you know, basically preparing all their breakfast from scratch. So a lot of another, another like myth that I found, I'm sorry. So I'm getting back to, I kind of like got caught up, but there's a lot of things they have to do in the morning. So not having to make a fruit juice by hand and instead being able to give their um, family Coca-Cola, which they can just purchase for cheaper than bottled water, which they don't have clean water to drink. Um, you know, you can see where people would reach for that. Um, thinking that, um, they have this really, um, it's not exactly wrong, but they think of like um, sugar as like energy and it, it isn't exactly wrong. Like we understand how sugar works in the body. Right. Um, however, like you don't want to just slam your body with a bunch of sugar, like first thing in the morning. So, um, you know, you start to develop, you see a lot of um, diabetic and pre-diabetic people in the village. It's a massive health challenge. And then also because of the Coca-Cola drinking, we have a really massive um occurrence of kidney disease and kidney dysfunction. Um, and that comes from a number of different things. It's also can be like just lack of water in general. Um, you know, your renal health really needs water. So, you know, all of those challenges, like that's just, we're just right in the morning and we've already met, you know, all of these challenges. And then for the morning, you know, I think a lot of people who are really struggling to put food on the table, one of the things that they do in the morning is they will wait by the dock and they'll get fish from the fishermen who are coming in from overnight. Um, so they'll get like the smaller fish that they can't sell or like eels because they have the green buns and they people won't eat them. So they get like little things. And the, the most of the way that they cook those fish is that they fry them. Um, so I've often found that another myth around Nicaraguans and food is that they believe you have to use enough oil to cook the food. They don't understand that it's actually the heat that's cooking the food. Um, so that's something that we've broken down over the years, which has been, I think, very helpful. But you can just see just right there, those those two things, if you change those two things, how much of a massive influence that would have over your health. Um, but those are those are a couple of the things. So I think too, um, they definitely focus on, you know, breakfast as being the main meal. I often see, um, for example, like people who are working construction, their lunch is going to be something like bread and Coca-Cola again. Um, you know, so they're just reaching for what's available and what's inexpensive. Um, and, you know, of course, you cannot blame anyone under these circumstances for doing that. Um, but it's really detrimental to their health. And then, you know, you often see people again, who are very really struggling, they're eating something like, uh, and I said this to you last, <clears throat> last night in a message, like a glass of um, oats with water. Um, that'll be their dinner. So it's a very, definitely a range, you know, there are people that can afford more, um, but vegetables is not really a focus. Fruits is not really a focus. Um, so it's really tough um, trying to get people to have the idea that they actually need to feed their body with healthful food in order to create health. And we try to explain, or I tried to explain that if you're spending 
a little bit more money on food, you know, hopefully you're spending less money on medication, less time and, and money on going on to the doctor um, because you're taking care of yourself. And that's something that we need to echo here in the States. You know, I know like pe well, people have a lot of trouble with that, you know, because they, they're just working, working, working. We have like a, an opposite issue. We have more of like a productivity focus. And so we, we tend to neglect ourselves and our health, but it's the same result. If we take that money and instead of, um, you know, putting it into our food, we're going to put less money ideally into the, going to the doctor and buying medications and all of those kinds of things yeah. and missing work even because we're yeah. sick. Pro, well, pro, proactive, right? Like it's an insurance policy. And because the men and women who are working here, you know, there's no paid time off. There's no, yeah. you know, you are not working, you're not feeding your family. So you can't get sick. Right. And if you get sick, and also one of the reasons <laughs> like the, you know, the kidney issues here, I've seen that firsthand after only being here for a few months. And I know it's because people were working in the sun all day, not hydrating, yeah. not getting electrolytes in. Um, and something that, you know, while you're outlining the common foods here, access to good quality protein is something that I've really noticed because that's a higher price point. So, you know, if you right. don't chickens, like a lot of people do have their own chickens, but if you don't mm -hmm. have chickens, if you're not fishing, you know, you're eating gallo pinto, which is beans and rice, but the amount of, you know, bioavailable protein that you're getting from that is very small. So it's high carbs and right. also high fat, but not good quality fat. It's fat coming right. from soy oil, right. oil. Um, I recently showed up to right. a local household with olive oil as the cooking oil that I was bringing and would not use it. Wow. Would not use it. And I was like, please, like, please use this. No way. Yeah. So, and I understand so it, you know, but so yeah. noticed, like the, the easiest accessible, affordable foods, right. It's what you can get a lot of volume of for a low price point. So rice right. and beans, tortilla and plantains. <clears throat> Right. Plantains are, you know, not that high in carb, actually, like pretty low glycemic, but everything else, high glycemic, and then you're adding juice to it and a very small amount of protein for the most part. So right. you know, making educating on like protein intake and also making it more like affordable. And I, you told me an right. average dollar amount a day that people have to commit to food. What is that on average? Wow. I mean, it's, it's definitely hard. Even in the village, we do have a big <clears throat> range, I think of, um, you know, what people can afford to spend on food. Um, but I know from, with my girls, it definitely ranges from maybe $5 a day for the whole family. You know, we're thinking at least mom, dad, daughter, or son, you know, if there's only one, which is, that would be rare. So probably more than one kid. Um, and, you know, maybe grandparents that are living in the house too, because we're having a lot of multi, um, generational families. So <clears throat> I would say it can range from about $5 a day to about $20 a day, um, to feed the family. I feel like 20 would be a pretty high, high number. Yeah. So too. Wow. Okay. So that alone, you know, <laughs> such a huge, and because then it links into so much else, like, you know, energy issues mm -hmm. the list goes on. Um, and what about, the relationship dynamic, you know, childbearing at a young age, 
is that yeah. something that you're having conversations about with the girls, like getting into toxic relationships and not being able to leave as a result of not having the finance? It's really interesting um, because so I think the the bulk of the work and I'm glad that this everything sort of, I think, evolved in the way that it was meant to. Um, and because I think if, for example, you went like right in with those ideas um, and particularly being not from there, it, it would be difficult to, um, you know, make a connection on it or have anyone really kind of listen or take your advice, um, even if it was helpful or correct, uh, you know, I don't want to say correct, because I think the biggest thing that I've learned through this experience is that morality is very gray um, and it's not black and white. Um, and so it's really difficult to say, um, you know, what's right and wrong, although we don't want anyone to get hurt, of course, and that's going to be like the main thing, right? Um, so there's a couple of those dynamics, relationship dynamics between, you know, romantic partners, but also relationship dynamic dynamics between, um, you know, mothers and children that we hope this year to start addressing. <clears throat> so every year we do at least one community education workshop, which is a combination of between my group, which is Mahari's Pain Maven, and then we have a sister organization um, who partners with us, like they are under our same 501c3 umbrella. Um, so they do mainly primarily uh, primary education, um, which is like a one-room classroom situation, and then they also do English classes. They're called Toucan Learning Center. Um, and Gia is the one who runs that up with me. So Gia and Gia Schmid and myself. And so last year we chose to do an, a community education around food safety. So we did all of the restaurant workers in the area and we did, we ran them through basically like a serve safe class. Um, so this year, uh, those ideas have been talked about actually those exact two ideas. Um, so we really want to try to get more into that stuff, but it's a, such a tough line because, you know, um, it's so cultural and it's not really our place to come in and say like, Hey, this isn't right the way you're doing things. Um, but again, like I said, the main goal being to keep everyone safe and to say like, Hey, you know, if this dynamic doesn't feel right to you, you can choose ideally to not participate in it. <laughs> um, and how can we help people to come to those conclusions? How can we help people to love themselves first and understand when something is, you know, hurting them versus when, you know, because a lot of the things I think that women experience because they're so um, common culturally, it doesn't maybe occur to them that it, to say, hey, I don't like this, you know, or this isn't right for me, even if they might be feeling that. So I think it's difficult for them to access that feeling, first of all, and to know like, you know, that, oh, that's why this doesn't feel right. Oh, I, you know, so we're going to try to do a little bit of some education on relationship dynamics specifically um, and talking about what a healthy re relationship dynamic could look like. Um, also, like in parenting, what that dynamic can look like, um, because again, we have to realize like that this community has been suffering for a very long time. They have experienced a lot of um, violence and their recent history politically. Um, and so any kind of like massive cultural trauma like that, which has a lot of violence, you know, it's going to seep into your everyday life. Um, so trying to get um, people, it, it's just, they're there, they have some catching up to do, like you said, that's the easiest way to say it. So um, trying to understand, get people to understand. Um, and it's very difficult, again, because 
we're thinking about the hierarchy of needs, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So all of these people are in the that bottom. Most of these people are in that bottom part where they're trying to just get food, water, and shelter met. So when you can't think about anything else, because all you're thinking about is when am I going to eat? Where's my next meal coming from? You know, is my roof going to leak tonight because it's raining? You don't have time to think about anything else, you know? So again, we have to be really gentle about this and understanding that like everybody is really truly doing the best we can. And so we're trying to work those dynamics in. And I think given the trust that we've been able to gain with the community, I think it can be something that's successful at this point, um, but it hasn't been something we've addressed in the past, but we want to increasingly more address these, I think more um, like mental health kind of issues. And that would be the point in, in growing our project big enough where, you know, I don't know if you know this, but our, our long-term goal, um, we had a big meeting about this yesterday. What we're trying to do is build a community center so we can house a lot more of these projects that would um, give more serious counseling, like things that I don't have the um, qualifications to do or Gia doesn't have the qualifications to do, but we can pay um, you know, a practitioner from Chinandega or from the city to come and be there for the day and, and to provide some of these services so that we can really start doing more of that deeper work with the community. <clears throat> That's incredible. Yeah. And I want to kind of echo and kind of emphasize something that you were saying, like as non-local Nicaraguan women, it's just something to tread so lightly on also not thinking that the way that we're doing things mm -hmm. in North America is the right way. Like we're also sick and unhealthy and unwell right. in many areas there. Um, and honoring, you know, the culture and traditions here while trying to support. And that's something that I've yep. like kind of just had some inner conflict with of how can I come here and and support and be a positive influence when, you know, this place has been so positive for me. And it almost feels unfair where I'm having okay. you know, a heightened level of health and a heightened personal experience. And how do I come and be part of the community and honor it? And, you know, it's just, it feels so kind of fragile to me. And I'm really torn with, as mm -hmm. you said, I love that you brought up Maslow's hierarchy because, um, you know, if you're just trying to survive, but then like the, you know, so many of the locals, but for those of us who are not local and experiencing Rise Up, for example, and all of these beautiful surf retreats where people are paying thousands of dollars, probably a local family's annual salary, feeding a whole family um, for a week yeah. to have this kind of luxury surf and, and yoga experience. Oh, I just like struggle with it so hard where I'm like, how is it yeah. fair that we're benefiting from this beautiful place, you know, where the locals, you know, so many are really suffering. And so, um, so just happy to see like so many of the surf retreats, you know, giving back and supporting your organization, for example, and doing what we can yeah. to, to recognize that gap because it feels so unfair. And so that's why I'm, you know, so excited to have these conversations yeah. with you um, because I would love to you know, do more as quickly as possible. And I'm glad you touched on mental health because I had been, you know, researching um, a bit of the, the area, like specifically where we are and reading about the rates of increased suicide, like over the past years, and they're increasingly growing. Lack of mental health support, obviously being a huge issue, the intergenerational trauma, um, you know, because of all of this violence, plus the pandemic on top of it, you know, we are in a very tourist centric area. Um, 
So I'm thrilled that that will be part of it. But as you said, you know, when you're just trying to get food, water, shelter, make sure you have, you know, electricity for the day, focusing on mental health support is so far from the priority. Yeah. Um, what are your primary goals for this year, your fourth anniversary of the organization? Um, I would say um, probably one of the primary goals is figuring out ways to increase the sustainability of the project. So, um, you know, first of all, uh, Gia and I, you know, running our individual projects, like we don't pay, we don't take any um, payment for that. So this is a whole 100% volunteer organization. Um, so what we are trying to do is implement some, um, so for example, this entrepreneurship prog pro uh, program, we hope to create that in a way where the girls are really running it themselves and organizing it. Um, and we're supporting them in doing that with the funding and everything else. Um, but so that, for example, if they're producing goods, that those, um, you know, that will create some sustainable income for the program. So increasing sustainability in that sense, but also um, for me, a, a massive part of it is um I kind of trying to think about this kind of like a pyramid. So, you know, we're getting the girls, they were kind of all maybe on the same bottom part of that pyramid. And so we've taken like Magdalena and Marilyn up a little bit and we're giving them more responsibility and I'm sort of removing myself even more so that um, this is really gonna be uh, a community run program. And at the moment, of course, the girls don't have all of the skills to do that, um, but we're hoping to really continue to teach them more and more um, so that they can be leaders in their community. And I know that <clears throat> they take a great deal of pride in that. And I know like the last time that I was in town, I dropped Magdalena home after the women's night and she gave me like a whole, um, I, I was really surprised to hear her say this because um, I did speak to Dona Leda, her mother-in-law uh, before I left last year. And um, I had invited her to become part of the board from Harry's Kim Waven. And she said to me, she was worried about Magdalena and you know, how, how things were going. And I said, well, Danielita, I really hope that her involvement in this project, which, which um, Danielita had noticed, she was really, you know, driven to be there, which I noticed as well, which is why I've given her the position of trying to teach the girls. So I said, I really hope that, you know, with her commitment to this, she's going to learn that she wants to organize her life in a way that she can show up for these people. Um, and that was basically what she said to me. And I was totally shocked because I didn't expect it to happen that quickly. But what she said to me was that Marilyn, our other teacher, had counseled her so much and explained to her that this program was bigger than them and that they, I'm going to get emotional. I'm trying to. They need to be, they need to be there for the other women in the community and be an example. Um, and I think that's really like all you can hope for, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the perfect evolution of this project. So um, that's definitely one thing that we're trying to do is, is continue to structure this in a way that it can be community led. So sustainability being community led. And then I think if we had a third goal for this year, because um, you know, uh, funding aside, we're, we're well-funded until ideally like 2025, 20, I think. Um, but, you know, we really want to try to get the, bigger picture of that community center, um, more clear and, um, and really get the funding for, to make that happen. Um, and so the idea with that is that <clears throat> we would have a building that would house both my project and Gia's project. Um, so she does, like I said, primary education and English classes, which as you know, if 
um, locals can speak English, they have a much higher chance of being able to get a job, particularly in the tourism realm. Um, even something like a bartender or somebody who's like working in the kitchen, if they speak English, they can interact with the guests and they have just so much more opportunity. Um, so uh, we're hoping to ha have a building that will ha house those two projects. Um, and then it would be also open to the community. We could house other initiatives. So if, um, you know, people wanted to do certain kinds of different nights that you know the community could participate in. If we, for example, wanted to have a farmer's market or a, like a wares market where people who are already creating things that they're selling in their home, it would be like a centrally located place. Um, hopefully this would be a place that would draw in, you know, tourists from the area as well. So um, like a visitor's center function, maybe like a visitor center as well. So people could come there and sort of see what's going on in the community and maybe partake in some of those local wares days where the girls uh, or anyone in the community are coming to sell, you know, because there's a lot of people around who sell, you know, tomatoes, chitomas, onions that they grow in their house. Um, you know, they make Guajada, which is the local cheese. I'm sure you've had that there. Um, so, you know, just having a centrally located place where people could come and, and know that they could purchase those things, um, I think would be really great. So it's we hope to really get that very clear uh, this year and um, secure that funding by the end of the year. I don't know if that's a big goal, but we're really, really hopeful and we have some really great connections. So um, we can just nail it down. <laughs> Yes, that's incredible. And for those who are listening and are like sitting here being like, oh my God, I want to support. Can you tell us right now how they could support in funding and offering to the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, we do have a website and I'm sure Kelly can link that in her show notes or whatever, but um, it's mahariskimwaven.org um, and obviously difficult to spell, which is why hopefully we'll have a link available um, so if you go to our website, you can usually see um, the homepage is usually going to be whatever our current fundraiser is going on. Um, right now, we are working with uh, Waves of Hope, uh, which is the uh, foundation out of Coco Loco. Um, so Jamie, um, you know, he runs this every year. And so they'll give us uh, some funding, which will be great. That's going to go towards uh, this year's programming. Um, so you can donate there. We have a donate now button on our website, which will go directly to, you know, our PayPal. Um, so you can donate there as well. Um, all of this is just linked directly to our, um, you know, 501c3 bank account. So it's all going directly there. <clears throat> um, and then we also have a coloring book, which we produced this year, which is really exciting. That was our first revenue project that we ever created. So last year we made... Um, uh, a girl came to the area who was a graphic artist and she found out what I was doing. And so she said, I have this idea. Um, I made this book one time about my girlfriends and I and the things that they do. And I would really love to make one about your project. So I was like, okay, cool. So over the last year, we um, designed that and got that all together. Um, so basically what it is, is they're, they're real pictures of the girls um, and things that they were doing in the project. And then she turned them into coloring book images. So um, it has some educational information on, on the pages about what the pictures are and what they represent. Um, and a little bit about the organization and myself. Um, so you can purchase that from our website. You can purchase that from our Instagram as well. Those books are $30 a piece um, plus the shipping and the person who produced them actually donated the production costs. So all of that money is being recouped directly to our program, which is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It's like another kismet thing that happened with this project. And I tell you, Callie, like is not the only story. I'll tell you more. Like so many times it's just like people pop up out of thin air, like when, right when I need them and it's unbelievable. So the universe is very much supporting this, I feel. Um, 
And then, so like I said, the coloring book and the general donations. And then if you want to just follow along with what we're doing, um, one of our other goals this year is to get Marilyn, one of our leaders, um, our local leaders in charge of our social media, because um, she's exhibited some really great skills in that area. So I'm like, oh, perfect. We're going to grab this. I've already asked her. She's interested. She wants to do that. So we've got our uh, Instagram, which is at Mujeres Came Wave and Official. Um, and so we try to put stuff up on there, you know, the girls send me videos and stuff every day. So I try to kind of like put a little bit here and there, and then we'll be sharing more posts and stuff about all of our activities this year there. So if you want to just follow, um, and of course, like sharing any of that is actually a really big help. Um, you know, because as you know, with Instagram, the more that people share things, the more it gets seen. Um, so we would really appreciate if you cannot give a financial, um, contribution to please, uh, just share the story and try to get, um, more people involved in what we're doing. And if you want to come down, that's the last thing, and actually physically help, that's always an option. Um, so I have Callie Knows, an extra bed in my house. Um, and so I'm really open to anyone who's interested in having an internship with us. We can arrange that. And again, because this is a 501c3, um, a lot of times you can get like credit for schoolwork if you can stay for an extended period of time. Um, if you just want to come down and help, you have like a skill, especially um, anyone with social media skills or photography skills, um, you know, any of those kind of skills, uh, you could definitely come down and stay with us for a little bit. I would really, we would really, really love that. Oh, how awesome. And would you ship the coloring books to Canada? Hold on. I just muted you. Say that again. I'm trying to would mute the dinging. Um, and then, would you, yes. can you ship the coloring books to Canada? Uh, yeah, we, I think we can. So first of all, we have a couple there already. One of our board members is from Canada. So she has at least 10. So we can definitely send them. Um, so when you fill out the thing, it's going to ask for your address and we'll we'll figure that out for sure. Mm -hmm. um, also, just something I want to say, talking about, you know, how incredible these women are and like specifically Magdalena, who I'm, um, you know, biased because I know her so well. So I shared that we were walking one day from the village to the beach and that it was like 35,000 steps that day. Um, Magdalena does that, has been doing that most days, like many days a week, multiple days a week. Sometimes she gets a bike, sometimes she picks up a ride, but generally she's walking. Um, so people were messaging me being like, that's crazy. She has been doing that for ages all the time as if it's nothing so that she can get from the beach to the mm -hmm. village to teach these classes. So just to give perspective of, you know, like how hard these women are working and how dedicated they are. And she never stops and she's so positive. And like I was sick yeah. this week, as you knew, she was like, Pinata, what do you need? Calling me, sending me like lemon tea and then yesterday I ran into her and she's like why didn't you let me know you were sick you know call me anytime so the girls are just so incredible um and I have one more personal question before for you before you we wrap up I'm so curious yeah. you know you talked about Olympic lifting and I know you have done mm -hmm. some fit um and then surfing where did yoga come into your personal wellness journey Oh yeah. That's so funny. So yoga is a funny little story because, um, when I, before I moved down there, as I mentioned, I was ha had that injury and <clears throat> I was having a bit of a little identity crisis kind of, cause I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I love the sport. I can't compete, you know? Um, and at the time I was definitely into meditation and, um, uh, so I was practicing that and I always loved to move. And I just kind of was like, Oh, yoga is like a waste of my time because, why would I 
slow down and do like worse movement and then like somehow meditate I'm already doing those things separately like I don't need you know what 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 is yoga going to give to me <clears throat> was kind of the thing and then when I first moved down there you know everyone the most annoying question in the world was like oh are you a yoga teacher and I was like <laughs> no I'm not you know so I fucking hated that I was like don't talk to me about yoga like I literally won't um and what happened was that I was living there, I think this must have been during 2018, 2019, because there just weren't that many people around. And one of my friends who owns a resort down there reached out to me knowing that I was a personal trainer. And he was like, can you teach yoga? And I was like, well, I've never taught yoga. I've taken yoga classes. And I'm sure I could teach something that looks like yoga without hurting anyone. I definitely have the skill set to do that. Um, you know, but I'm like, I... I really don't, you know, and he's like, I'm totally screwed. Like, I don't have a teacher. I have a professional tennis player coming and I need someone to teach and she's coming in five days. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of short notice. But so what I did was I basically crash course myself on yoga on YouTube. I like just was like, all right, I'm going to watch a ton of yoga. I'm going to teach a ton of yoga to myself. I'm going to write some sequencing. I'm going to see how it goes. So probably every day, definitely for those five days, um, you know, I did like five or six hours of yoga those days. And then <clears throat> for the next couple of weeks, you know, the first week went so well and the, the client was so impressed that then he said, well, you know, if you want to continue to teach here, you're welcome to just continue to teach. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So I probably, because I was trying to learn myself and then teach other people, I probably did at least three hours of yoga a day for um, you know, three or four weeks. And by the end of that, my flexibility was so different. My balance was so different. Um, my just knowing of myself was so different physically. I, I never understood truly like what the benefit of it was until then I'm like surfing and I fall on one foot and I'm like on the board just on one foot. And then I come somehow back onto the board. Like I'm fine. And I continue serving. I'm like, I never would have been able to do that three weeks ago. There's no way. So I, I just felt it so clearly in my body, even though I was already so active and doing all these things. Um, and I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And it still was not my favorite thing. And I still hate it for people to point that out to me. Like, Oh, are you a yoga teacher? So I never really then got super into it until also maybe about a year after that or six months or so. This is when I met into this entire other group of humans that exist in Nicaragua, which it seems like a fully different world. Um, I met this woman while I was getting my nails done in Chinandega. <clears throat> and so we struck up this conversation. She was really nice. So she happens to be the woman who owns the biggest hotel in Chinandega and her name is Maria Torres. And so she says, do you teach yoga? And I was like, you know, uh, like, yes, I teach yoga. So I actually, no, that's right. It wasn't, it was not that far afterwards. I'd only very recently started. Now I remember the story. Okay. So <clears throat> she says, I have a daughter-in-law who I think would like to take classes. Like, can I have your, your phone number? I said, yeah. So we organized it. And then I started teaching in Chinandega. So I used to drive my motorcycle into Chinandega with my um, yoga equipment on my back and, and teach um, two or three times a week. And so from teaching her um, daughter-in-law in that group, there was like five or six of them. And then her after that, I would teach her just a one-on-one -on -one class after that. And seeing her go from being, I mean, very immobile to, I mean, having great mobility and being able to do a vinyasa class at 
um, I think she's like 65. <clears throat> I was like, whoa, this is powerful. You know, I had no idea how important it was. And I'm like, as I'm teaching, I'm like, oh, this is going so slow. Like, how's anyone ever going to learn? And then I'm, I'm seeing over the month and then two months, I'm like, oh my God, I, I just didn't think that it was valuable to teach movement at such a pace. Like I, I didn't see, you know, the, how, how people would progress. So I was so impressed by watching my students learn, um, you know, and it's, this has nothing to do with me. It's just about, you know, this um, practice has been around for thousands of years. So I, I'm just teaching them, you know, things that people have been doing forever. Um, and I was just blown away, totally blown away by it. Um, but I still teach those people every time I come back. Um, I'm, I have a great relationship with them. Um, and Carlos Deshawn is one of my my good clients. And the the group of girls, I always call them like the chinny chicas. That's what I call them. They know that I call them that. But when I talk about them to other people, I call them the real housewives of Chinandega because uh -huh. there's truly no other way to describe them. They are just like the young and beautiful Chinandega. They really are. And it's really funny, like world that I got sucked into through yoga, which is very funny. <laughs> so do you ever end up doing like a traditional yoga teacher training? You're completely self-taught. I'm mostly self-taught. I did like an online uh, 200 hour YTT, but mostly, yeah, fully self-taught. Yeah. Incredible. So I, I think I just have a propensity for movement and I did like a lot of gymnastics and dance and stuff when I was young too so I I understand that highly technical part of it um because I was so comfortable teaching movement for so long it just kind of naturally went into what I was able to teach and I think there's something to be said about when you know you're a coach and you're like a you're a trainer you understand how to teach people and I also yeah. just highlight this as an opportunity of like this is a great example of like just say yes and figure it out. Like, yeah. and, and you know, you'll find a way. And because you only have to know, I get lots of questions about like, you know, how do you become a coach or, you know, I'm not good enough to teach X, Y, Z. You only have to know more than the people you're teaching. And like, you didn't know yep. how to start a nonprofit until you just figured it out. Like you just, no. and I just the other day, David needed help teaching a surf lesson for a resort here, like a group of 13 yeah. people. And wow, like, you're gonna help me, and I'm like, I don't know how to surf. Like, you know, I'm not a good surfer <laughs> on my own. Like, green wave on my. Own. He's like, no, you know enough. You know enough. You know more than someone who's never surfed. You know enough to teach a beginner class. Yeah. And then he one day had me like teaching a whole class by myself, and I'm like, oh, you know, I know how to teach. I know how to coach. I know exactly. I kinesthetic intelligence is high, and it was so confidence boosting for me to be like okay, you, you only need to know so much and you learn so much by teaching. And yeah. when I'm trying to learn Spanish, I also realize that the best way for me to learn is to like teach him something like back. Not that he doesn't already know it because he's speaks Spanish. Um, but anyways, I just think that's a good takeaway for people who are listening. I will give you right. time mm -hmm. back. Um, for those of you who don't know, we yeah, I, I definitely, I think I, Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say that I, I, I definitely give credit to that um, seed being planted in my brain when I took my CrossFit level one certification. And the one thing that they used to say in that certification is like, start from where you are. You're like, you don't need to figure it all out right now, um, but just start teaching. 
because you'll get better at it as you go. And the thing is there, there are going to be moments where you're now I've been doing this for 13 years, you know, look back and you're going to say, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) But the thing is, if you're not doing that, you're not progressing. You know, you're not going to start as the best coach that's ever walked on the face of the earth. It doesn't matter, but you walk into that room with confidence and you say, I know how to teach you this thing. You might not know everything, but you know how to teach that thing, then teach it. Teach it the best way that you know how. And you're going to find out as you learn, you're going to get better. And you just have to start from where you are. That's such a good lesson. I'm so glad that you experienced that with uh, Debbie. That's so nice. Yeah. Well, it was really cool. And I mean, just as you said, there is nothing more satisfying than seeing people grow and become more confident in themselves and you know, see their physical body and their health progress. And you know, we were working with this group of girls who were there for a yoga retreat, but they wanted to learn how to surf. And they were like thanking me for little tips that I had given them in surfing. And they were like, oh my God, how long have you been surfing? Like they just assumed I was a professional, right? They didn't, they never, <laughs> they didn't know idea. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's yeah. cool. And you know, not in a way that was dishonest or anything. Once they asked, I was very honest. I'm right. like, like I'm still very new, you know, but I know enough to be able to help with beginner lessons. And um, yeah, I think so often we don't hear people talking about that, what it's like to be a beginner trying to be the expert. Yes. And, you know, there's levels to it. Like when I started coaching, I shared this with you recently. I didn't have a website. I was taking e-transfers and I had a Facebook page and that's how I ran my business for a full year. This was like over 10 years ago. So it was a little bit more normal maybe to do that than it would right. be. But <laughs> You know, I'm like, that's just was one stepping stone. And then, oh my God, one day I'll show you my old branding and you'll die. It's hilarious. It's like a skull with a pink bowl, a pink, <laughs> pink bow and dumbbell cross bones in the back. That was my logo. Like, oh my God. That's so cute. <laughs> more different, you know, I'm like, but that was just levels to it. So, yeah. and I just want to say, thank you so much for being here because yeah uh recorded half of this yesterday it had a million wi-fi issues and then we you recorded at with me at 7 a.m on a saturday so bless your heart um and i always close with some rapid fire questions so i would love to know if you have okay. do you consider your biggest role model Ooh, um my biggest role model would either be uh pema children or brene brown brene brown's probably very yeah love her work and what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, I think start from where you are. I'm going to go with that for right now. Start from where you are. Just just like be action oriented, you know? And best book or resource you'd recommend to people? Ooh, The Way of the Bodhisattva is the best book I've ever read. Oh, I've not heard of this. It sounds yes. very inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um that's a it, it's a Buddhist text and so the Bodhisattva is also known as the awakened heart warrior. And I think I'm a very sor- service oriented person, but when I read that book, it was like someone took ideas that I felt and had somehow in my mind not in a formulated way that I could speak them out loud and I was like reading it off the page. It was so I I carried this book. It's actually right here. It's right here. <laughs> I take it with me everywhere I travel. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's written by Shanti Deva. Oh my God, my dogs are going crazy. Sorry. <laughs> um, I knocked something over. So now they're like, great. Um, 
so yeah, it's uh and and my favorite like retelling of this uh, is on the chapter five lesson, which is called uh, vigilance. And uh, Pema Chodron does a whole, uh, it's like a weekend long uh, lecture that she gave and it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I listen to that lecture and read this book like constantly. It's like my Bible. <laughs> this is the thing I wanna deep dive now that you've recommended. Also, I'm trying to remember, I was looking at your bookshelf. Oh, it's the Homo Sapiens book. Um, I almost brought that book with me here and I'm like, it's so big. I don't want to like lug it here. And then I saw it on your bookshelf. I'm like, it was literally the one book I had. I was going to put it in my carry on. I'm like, you know what? I'll just leave it. I have my app. I can like get library books. And then I saw it on your bookshelf and I'm like, okay, I think that means I'm supposed to read it. So it's maybe so I'll good. That's a good one. That's a very, very good one. Um, um, and, and that book was gifted to me by, so this guy that forced me to go back out into the surf that day, it was his girlfriends who they're no longer together but his girlfriend gave me that book so a long time ago okay I need to read it and personal mantra or words you live by if you haven't shared them already um I had a mantra last night that I I, I don't know if I have a personal mantra that I live by but I'll give you two things right now I do have core values um which are in integrity and authenticity are my two core values. I think about that a lot and quite deeply. Um, and then last night, the, the the mantra I've been living by recently has been, I have space for two truths in my heart. I don't know where that came from, but that's going to be the next couple of weeks. I really love that because I recently heard, um, like, it's just so simple, but like two things can be true simultaneously, yeah. you know, which I think mm -hmm. we sometimes forget like we're so emotionally complicated and complex as humans that you know you can have uh you know experience two things um and finally last but not least for everyone who wants to follow along you personally as well as the organization please let us know where we can do that yeah sure so um if you want to follow the girls like i said it's at muharis came wave and official um or at our website which is muharis and we do have um, a newsletter which we're going to be working on um producing monthly this year so we we actually diversified our board so that we could um spend some time with that with the donor communication um so you can get on that and then <clears throat> if you do want to follow me personally then you can find me at um at Miss Relentless Fitness, um, MS underscore Relentless Fitness. And, and I will have some really cool stuff coming up, hopefully um, at the end of this month or the beginning of uh, March. So um, we'll be on the lookout for that. So hopefully some online training options and that kind of thing. So, And we'll link everything. And like you said, yes, we'll link the website for anyone who's interested in donating or yeah, come visit us in Nicaragua. That would be amazing. Um, selfishly, I'm like one of my you yes, know, and talented friends come stay at Drew's house and then I can see you in Nicaragua too and thank you thank you for your beautiful home and your time and I can't wait to see you back here again soon yeah thank you that's all the time we have together this week thank you so much for being here with Drew and I you can find me on Instagram TikTok and Facebook as always at KY Wellness more details about all episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next week and keep yourself well.